as the choir makes their way back to their seats. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, reading in a few moments with the first verse, and we'll be reading down through verse 6. Many years ago, before they had motorized uh, farm implements, a father sent his teenage son out to the fields to hoe the corn. Well, about the middle of the afternoon, he uh, thought, well, I better go check up on the boy. So he went out to see what was going on, and the boy was out in the middle of the cornfield running back and forth, taking the hoe and slinging it back and forth and knocking over corn and knocking over corn. And his father went up and grabbed him and held on to him and said, what in the world is the matter with you? And the boy said, well, after I finished my lunch, said I laid down to rest for a minute, and something like a lizard ran across my face, and I'm going to kill it. And his father said, boy, are you crazy? said, you're not going to be able to catch that lizard. You're wasting your time. Besides, you've already destroyed a half an acre of corn. And the boy said, I don't care. I'm going to kill it if it takes the whole crop. Have you ever run into anybody like that in church? I bet maybe you have. Because you see there are people that have that kind of attitude that have decimated churches and destroyed churches. And yet the scripture says we are to work together so that there is unity in the church. And that's what this passage of scripture is going to be speaking about this morning. Unity in the church. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, this passage really has two major ideas. One is the calling that God places upon our life. And it also has that emphasis upon unity. Don't you like to be called? You get a call and say, you've been accepted into our university. Or you've made the team. Or you've got the job. It's a good thing to feel like you've been selected, that you've been chosen, that you had what it took to be able to meet the requirements. Well, God comes to us and he gives us a calling. In Jeremiah 31, the scripture says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. God comes to us with his everlasting love for us and seeks to draw us to himself. Yeah, that's why he sent Jesus into the world. So it was God reaching out through him to speak to us and to let us know that He cares about us, that He loves us, that He wants us to be a part of His team. He wants us to be a part of His kingdom. He wants us to be a part of His family. He has given us a calling. Some respond to it. Some don't. Many of you have responded to it. 
Some of you here this morning still have the opportunity to respond to it because you feel God tugging at your heart and pulling you to Himself, helping you to understand that He loves you and that He wants you to be His and to be His forever and to give you as a gift eternal life. So we're encouraged to respond to the calling that God has given us. And then He says, once you've responded, then you want to live a life that's worthy of your calling. If you get selected to a, a college, you want to do your best to be able to make the grade there. If you get a new job, then you want to prove to your employer that, hey, I can do this job. I want to be valuable to your company. And, and it works the same way. God calls us, chooses us, calls us to Himself, and then we're going to want to live a life worthy of Him. We're going to want to present a face to the world that speaks well of Him. You know, there, Satan uses a lot of different things to keep the kingdom of God from spreading, to keep people out of the kingdom of God, to keep people away from seeing the love of God. But you know what is one of his most effective weapons? Christians who preach love and hate and Christians who proclaim unity and yet get divided up over trivial things that don't really matter at all. So one of the ways that we live worthy of the calling that God has given us is to work to maintain unity in the church. And we're going to think about some things this morning that we can do to help us to maintain that unity. And it goes back to having the right attitude. We need the right attitudes toward God, toward our calling, and toward one another. And one of those he spells out here in verse 2 is being completely humble. Now, you know, we don't much like being humble, do we? We want a place of power and position. We want to get our way. We don't want to think of ourselves as we really are. We want to think of ourselves a lot of times greater than we really are. Thinking that we deserve more and that we ought to get more and we ought to have a better position. And, and we just don't have that humility that helps us to realize that, hey, you know, God is the great one. Christ is the Lord. And we put ourselves under God and under Christ and we are humble before them and humble in our dealings with one another. So he says, be completely humble. And he also says that we're supposed to have the attitude of gentleness. Now, some of the translations have meekness. And boy, we sure don't like to be meek. But if you go back and look at the, where that word came from, it was used of a horse that had been broken and trained. Now, a horse doesn't lose its strength. It just has that strength channeled where it needs to go so that it can do worthwhile work. And, and that's what this means here. You know, we, we, we channel our strength. It doesn't mean we lose our strength. It doesn't mean that we may, you know, lose our personality or, or try to shrink back or something like that. No, it means that we take the strength that God has given it and channel it in the right direction so that we are servants so that we are servants and we, we help one another, gentle with one another. 
You know, society doesn't much value gentleness, but I tell you what, if we've done wrong, we value somebody being gentle with us. And if we're hurting in some way, we value somebody being gentle with us. And gentleness ought to be the operative mode in which we relate with one another. Because we recognize that, hey, all of us are going through some things. And then he says, be patient. Be patient. I almost skipped over that one because I have a hard time being patient. I don't know. Don't you hate it when you come up to a red light and the light's changed and somebody's in there texting or something or other and they don't move? You know, and I think, Lord, you're trying to tell me you're not a very patient person. You need to learn patience. You know, it means having a long fuse instead of a short fuse. And it's easy for us to have a short fuse, isn't it? But we're just willing to cut people some slack. And then I think it's saying here, also it's saying, I know it's saying, not only do we have the patience, but we're bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. You know, people are going to irritate us. People are going to aggravate us. People are going to disappoint us. Sometimes people are going to hurt us. I mean, we're humans. We do that to one another. And I'll tell you a secret. We do that to one another in the church. Don't we? We don't always mean to. Sometimes we do. But what does the scripture say when that happens? It says, bearing with one another. You know, putting up with one another. And it happens in every part of life. Did you hear about the man that came home from work one day? His little boy was sitting out on the front step. Kind of looked really dejected. He went up to him and sat down by him and said, Son, what's the matter? And the little boy said, Well, just between me and you, Dad, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife. <laughs> we could even rub one another wrong at home, can't we? Well, just bearing with one another, putting with one another, being able to move on. And that, that's what God is calling us to do. And, and notice what he says there. you bearing with one another in love. There's another passage of Scripture that spells these things out just as clearly. Let's, let's look at this together. There it says, therefore is God's chosen people. All right, there's that chosen again. God has chosen us. We're his chosen people when we allow Jesus to come into our life and receive him as Savior. Holy. Oh, did you know you were a holy people? You are. You're set aside to God. And dearly loved. God dearly loves you. Do you get it? The king of the universe dearly loves you. Clothe yourselves. All right. Now, don't get them on wrong side out like Tabby was talking about. But clothe yourselves with what? With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against any, someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ooh, think how much he's forgiven you. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God loves us. We are dearly loved. We ought to dearly love one another. We ought to just let that love flow into us, that love of God flow into us and fill us up to overflowing so that it flows onto other people. Then we're to use this to help maintain the unity of the church by making an effort to do so. Look at verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make an effort to do so. Make every effort. He didn't just say make a effort. All right, I've done my due, that's it. He didn't say make two efforts or a few efforts. He says make every effort. You keep on, you keep on, you work at it. You make every effort. You're willing to humble yourself and be patient and make every effort. One of the churches where I was pastor, there was a man there that helped the church maintain its unity. And he was an older man in the church, very respected man. And he would make known, sometimes privately with people, sometimes publicly, that that was his church. And when the church came to make a decision, he was going to take a part in what the decision was being made, and he was going to voice his opinion, and he was going to vote. But he said, from then on, whatever the church decided to do, I would go along with it. If I didn't get my way, that was all right. You know, it was my church. We're going to stay in this together. He did what was necessary. He made every effort to maintain the spirit, to maintain the unity. We need to make every effort because of our diversity. You know, most churches are pretty diverse. You ever thought about it? You know, we've got every age group in the church. You start off with infants, you go through senior adults. Every age and stage in between. Have you ever stopped to think also that we've got Christians of various ages, not, not chronological ages, Christians who've been Christians for a few weeks and Christians who have been Christians for years and years and years and years and years. And, and we're not going to be all at the same level. Some of those, us who are, have been Christian for years and years and years ought to be the leaders in showing the humility and the patience and the forbearance. We've got different backgrounds. We come from different occupations. We've got different ideas. We need to make every effort to take all of this diversity and bring it together as a strength that God can work through us in many ways instead of letting us push it, push it apart. And then he says, make every effort. You keep at it. You ever watch a basketball game where it's coming down toward the end of the game and, you know, the two teams, the, the score's tied. And they, what do they do? They start a full-course press, full-court press, and they put the pressure on the whole length of the court. That's what he's meaning, make every effort. Stick together. Work at it. Benjamin Franklin said of the American Revolution, we must all hang together or we'll hang separately. The world is against the church. We can't afford to be so busy fighting with one another that we're vulnerable to attack from outside. And I'll tell you something, more and more and more Christians in the United States of America are being badmouthed and laughed at and put down. 
It's not like it once was, people. We can't afford to be so busy fighting one another that we let the world get the upper hand. We've got to stick together. We've got to hang together or we'll hang separately. And so we work at maintaining this unity that we're supposed to have in the church. Now, this applies to other areas of life as well. Not just the church. It applies to marriages. It applies to families. It applies to communities. Same principle. It's hard to believe after the last few weeks of all this rain we've been having, but just a few years back and for several years, South Carolina was in drought. You know, some parts of the state were in severe drought. During one of those times when it was really bad, uh, the residents of Northeast Columbia were asked to only water their lawns three days a week. You know what happened? Water consumption went up to record levels. You believe that? What was going on? There wasn't a spirit of unity. I will use less so that there will be enough for everybody. There was the spirit of selfishness. I'm going to get all I can for myself while I have the opportunity. And that spirit of selfishness, rather than the spirit of unity, will destroy a community, it'll destroy a family, it'll destroy a marriage, and it'll destroy a church. It's important that we make every effort to maintain unity in our community and in our families and in our marriage. Patience, humility, forbearance, those aren't just words. They're things that God tells us, the God who loves us tells us, do these things and you're much more likely to have the abundant life I want for you. And it's sure true in the church. And we ought to be setting the example in every way. So, Scripture gives us what it takes to keep us bonded together in unity. You know, one of the things I'm amazed at these days is the adhesives that they have. You know, some parts of your automobile these days are glued together. And I mean important parts, not just the, you know, with the trim on the dashboard. Same thing with those airplanes you get up in the sky in. You know, you ever thought about they're held together with a kind of super glue? Except it's much better than super glue. At least I hope it is. God wants us bound together in peace and in love. And so he gives us some things that are spiritual realities that will help keep us bonded together. So he spells them out. One body. We are like a body. The church is like a body. It's like a, the human body. And you know, they're different parts of us, but we work together like the human body does. You know, you've got an ear, you've got a nose, you've got a hand, you've got a foot. You know, the church has different parts like that. Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote, just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we've got one body. We have one spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that drew us to Christ in the first place. The Holy Spirit that wants to guide us and lead us. In Galatians, Paul said, so I say live by the Spirit, meaning Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
You see, we've got two things pulling on us. We've got the Spirit of God pulling us to do right and sinful human nature pulling us to do wrong. And we've got to follow the way of the Spirit. He goes on to say, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature will from that nature reach destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And then there's one hope. We hope to get to heaven. We know God's got a place prepared for us. We can be with Jesus. We can share in His glory. We can enjoy all of the wonders that God has put together in that place that's beyond our human comprehension at this time to even understand how great it is. We've got that one hope. And if we're moving toward that one hope, then we don't have to let the trivialities of life play such a role in our attitudes or our actions. Then we've got one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who left heaven, the Son of God who came to earth and lived among us, the Son of God who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, the Son of God who was raised from the dead. And with His resurrection, people began to fully understand what He was. You know, when Jesus saw Thomas, who had missed Him the first time He appeared to the disciples, Thomas saw Him and what did He say to him? My Lord and my God. After His Jesus, resurrection, Jesus was recognized as Lord. When Simon Peter preached the first Christian sermon, he said, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And this is the Lord who gives us eternal life. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is Lord who gives us the gift of eternal life. Jesus is the one who grants us His grace and His peace because He is Lord. Simon Peter said, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And John the Apostle, in that great glimpse of the view he had of what the future was going to be that God gave to him, saw Jesus coming triumphant, and he said on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is supreme over all. And if you follow Him, you let Him be supreme. And you're going to want to live a life worthy of the Lord. So that this great King who left heaven and was sacrificed to you for you to show His love for you, you want to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. And we especially want to do that in the church. One Lord, one faith, trust in Jesus Christ. One faith... Jesus is the way to have eternal life. You put your trust in Him, but understand something. Jesus is the one way. What did He say? I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In a land where the highest virtue is accepting all diverse ideas, opinions, and religions as equal, Christianity dares stand up and say, Jesus is Lord. He is the way. And if we're true to that, if we're true to that word, and it says it over and over, then you can expect opposition. Another reason to maintain your unity. One faith, one baptism, identification with Jesus Christ, saying I have died to my old way of life, I've been raised up to new life in Jesus, and I'm going to follow Him. One baptism. And then one God and Father. I like that emphasis on Father. You notice how we keep running across that? The Father who made us, the Father who loves us. But notice something, Get understand it again, especially in the light of what's being taught in our society. One God, not many, one. The heart of the Jewish and Christian faith. What were the Jewish people taught? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. One God and Father. Now, I bet most of you believe that, don't you? Believe everything came from Him? Everything exists through Him? Notice what it says here. He goes on and says, who's over all things. He's sovereign, supreme. He's through all. He's in us. He's in all. He's working in everything. All right, if you believe that, do you trust Him to guide the church? Do you trust Him to eventually works, works out what is best? Do you trust that you don't have to make a scene, that you don't have to be ugly, that you don't have to be gossips, that you don't have to be slanderers, that you don't have to be full of rage so that God can accomplish His purposes? You let Him accomplish them in His time and in His way. One God and Father who's going to do what's best for His children. So we're called to the unity. We're led to it. We're to work toward it. Back in Seattle, Washington, several years ago, they were having the Special Olympics. And uh, in the Special Olympics, one of the events was a 100-meter dash. And there were nine participants, some of them physically handicapped, some of them mentally handicapped. And so they lined up. And the starting good sounded, and they started all running down the track except for one. Right at the starting line, the little boy stumbled and fell. He started to cry. The other eight stopped. Stopped right in the middle of the race. They turned around, saw what had happened, walked back to him. One little girl who had Down syndrome bent down and kissed him and said, that'll make it better. 
He stood up, they linked arms, and walked down the track across the finish line. People in the stands stood up and clapped and cheered for 10 full minutes. What a picture of what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be. For you see, one way or another, all of us are wounded, all of us are challenged, we need one another, and we help one another. And we link arms to move forward in Christ and honor the calling that He's giving us. Today, maybe you need to rededicate yourself to the one who called you to make every effort to maintain the unity of the church. Maybe today you need to say, I feel God tugging at my heart. I want to be a part of his family. I need his forgiveness. I want that eternal life. I want to have the hope of heaven. I want to be part of a fellowship who will love me and care for me and help me to grow in the faith. And you would come and say, before this congregation, I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to let him into my life. Maybe today you say, I've done that and I'm going to make it public. Maybe you need to come and say, I want to be a part of this church because I know God's working here. Listen. What is God calling you to do this very minute? He's calling out of love. He's calling as your heavenly Father. How are you going to respond as we sing our invitation hymn?